Good morning, guys, and welcome back to this week's e-commerce experts episode. I am so excited to bring you the all-inspiring Shimona Meta, the MD of the European or the EMA side of Shopify. She's honestly a completely inspiring woman. I was bowled over by the fact that she gave us an hour of her time in order to talk about what's next for the platform and also how to use your story, how to use your narrative on the platform as a tool to mobilize e-commerce sales. I think she's got some fantastic insights, um, highlights some really interesting brands that I've never heard before as well. Um, and I think it's honestly one of the best um, episodes we've got today. So um, without further ado, I'll hand it over to her. Because they're so close to the culture, I just get it. It was just an idea that we ran with. Well, Shimona, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate it. What a whirlwind of a two years you've had been over here in London. It's absolutely been insane, both from a personal perspective uh, in going through a move across an ocean and obviously trying to furnish everything through COVID, but also professionally at Shopify, we had an opportunity, particularly through the pandemic, to really help a lot of brands, merchants, retailers either really quickly get online so that they could recover revenue streams that were closed down when stores closed or to pivot their businesses really quickly. That was actually a joy over the last year and a half to see how many merchants figured out how to survive and in many cases thrive by pivoting quickly, figuring out new strategies, reaching new customers. So that was probably at least the highlight of the last year and a half. It sounds like a real highlight. As we joked just before we came on air, as you haven't been able to appreciate London, I'm glad work has been good for you because otherwise moving across the ocean would be, yeah, an interesting choice to do over this this past uh, two years. I've read somewhere that um, Shopify global sales have hit $2.9 billion, which is crazy. So you're up 21% based on last year and double 2019. Is that a global pattern or is that something you saw exactly in the EMEA as well? Yeah, we've been growing incredibly quickly in Europe as well. You know, what we've seen, if you look across all the markets in Europe, the UK is actually an innovation point for the rest of Europe, right? We see such high adoption with e-commerce. I think it's 30% of retail in the UK is done online. People's frequency of using online as a channel, whether it's grocery, non-grocery, continues to grow. We see such incredible work in the ecosystem being done here, and they're leading the way for the of Europe, in Germany and Italy and, and so on, the penetration of online isn't as high, but it's growing just as fast. And what we saw through COVID is that actually just became the accelerant of the trends that were already happening. It really became a, a tailwind, like a forcing function, if you will, for those retailers and brands that maybe were a little bit slower to adopt and to think about their digital strategies or their omni-channel strategies to very quickly have to figure out how to pivot. And for those that were already digital to really quickly quickly think about how they were going to be agile, how they were going to build communities and, and create really rich customer experiences to stand out as the world got smaller, to create ease of navigation and innovate through safety. And so we absolutely saw the same trends here in Europe and I think truly like led by the UK actually. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. And it's reassuring because everyone's been so nervous with Brexit. There was a lot of trepidation around what businesses were to do, particularly around then expanding into the EU. We saw a number of clients hold back or pause because they were waiting to see where the dust settled. So actually the fact that 
it's almost to the UK's advantage that the EU isn't quite as so advanced because it gives them the opportunity to take the learnings they've got here in the UK and hopefully implement them across the European mainland. Absolutely. I mean, we saw, if I could share a couple of my favorite stories, because I, oh, I think do. the best way to look at it is through a couple of merchants. I mean, one of my favorite merchants to talk about actually is Omalola Jewelry. It started by two sisters who live in and around the London area. They started a business selling West African inspired jewelry out of their home, right? I think one was a speech pathologist, one was in school, if I'm remembering correctly. And they were managing all the stock out of their parents' home and they were completely selling through stock. And so, of course, as soon as the pandemic hit, lost all of their revenue stream in March, April of last year. And thankfully, they were able to really quickly pivot and they started using the TikTok channel on Shopify as a way to reach a customer base, tell their stories, share their beautiful jewelry and started to gather uh, and engage a whole community of people, not just in the areas that they were already selling in before, but now actually starting to attract customers from around the world. Last year during the holiday season, they grew over 300% over the prior year. And that's six months after having a total shutdown and having to rethink channels. And this year, the two of them both went full-time in their business and they've left what their old professions were. And they're now building Omolola Jewelry full-time. And these are Two young, bright, smart women who are new to retail, who are building this on the side, who had their entire revenue stream shut down in March 2020 and are now in a position to be able to like to leave their full time jobs and build their business. So it's the agility like that and using really great social channels to build community that I think is so powerful. And then you look at the other end of the spectrum at a phenomenal success story and brand like Gymshark that we all know and love here in the UK, of course, they just accelerated what they were doing because they had already spent so much time building uh, as an authentic brand that really connected with their customer base. And so they leaned further into building community, right? We saw them support the NHS. We saw them support personal trainers and feature them on their Instagram page. We saw them really use TikTok as a channel to continue to connect and build community. And we know that they have a great social strategy as well. Rather than just go into really quick running into sales to try and clear inventory, they focused on community building and they actually solidified their customer base, a really loyal customer base where we all know are so rabid for them. I know I am. And they did it through just continuing to focus on and leaning into being the authentic brand that they've always focused on being, which is the power that, you know, D2C brands like Gymshark have over larger retailers and marketplaces out there. I completely agree. I've been trying to induct, I want to say, my partner into the Gymshark family. Not quite there yet, but I'm still working on it. It's definitely a group that once you get into the community, that's it. You are completely hooked. So it's interesting. TikTok is obviously, and the Shopify partnership is one that was announced this year. It was very exciting. What do you think the opportunities are for existing Shopify merchants to really leverage that new partnership and relationship you've got? So there's a couple of things that I think are really exciting about TikTok and actually all the other social channels that we've been expanding our relationships with Pinterest as well this year, Spotify, of course, we announced over the last couple of months as well for creators uh, and artists. The TikTok relationship we expanded earlier this year into 14 further countries, including the UK and the rest of Europe. There's a couple of things I think that are incredibly exciting for merchants. One, again, it continues to be the agility. And so being able to connect your Shopify admin straight into your TikTok account. So to really quickly be able to 
upload some really cool, raw, authentic content, tag some products in it and upload it straight and then be able to track the engagement. This is the key here, right? It's that data to understand how your customer base is interacting with you and then to be able to quickly pivot, right? That's the magic of TikTok. It doesn't have to be tens of thousands of dollars spent on super polished content. If we all remember the ocean spray content, the guy on the skateboard drinking the ocean spray, like that is just raw, organic, done with an iPhone content that has actually spurned so much attention for the brand. And so the ability to be able to do that, test something out, see how it resonates, how are people engaging, how are they converting, where are they going through to, and then to try again, right? That is magic in a bottle, first and foremost, so the ability to be able to track that and, and map that back to conversion. The other that's incredibly exciting that I'm so pumped about that we're doing is the organic ads. So the beauty, of course, in TikTok is that it surfaces content to you based on what you're interested in, not just who you follow through the magic of hashtags. So the ability now to be able to actually create kind of organic ad content that surfaces to your target audience without having to spend all of the money that we're seeing through the increased costs in Facebook ads, Google ads, all of that world is a massive leverage point for those independent brands where cash is king and you're trying to figure out like how to spend correctly, how to target correctly, how to figure out like how to create the right messaging for your target audience. Uh, I think that a channel like this becomes absolutely magical and potentially life-saving when it comes to cash flow, when you can surface things organically or basically free advertising is the opportunity there. And then the same with Pinterest where people go, they go to be inspired. Right. And so and and it turns out that people go to Pinterest not just to be inspired by designs or wedding dresses or recipes and things like that. They're actually going to be inspired to find new brands as well that tie to the things that they're interested in. And so the opportunity to be able to tie your brand back to those incredible boards that people are building, the inspiration boards, and and actually have someone be able to convert through into a purchase, again, becoming discoverable in the places where your potential customers already are, I think is incredibly exciting. I completely agree. And as someone who's in the middle of moving house, and you've obviously moved house in the last couple of years, it's somewhere that I absolutely go for inspiration and also to map out what I want the new spaces to look like. And it's interesting, the pushback we often get when we're talking to clients around Pinterest is the lead time, obviously, because Pinterest has such a long lead time from when someone's first discovered you and are thinking about it to actual purchase point. But what I find so fascinating is the difference in the percentiles, because if someone's looked at you at that point and they've pinned you, the chances of them actually coming back are so much higher than other platforms. And I feel like it's a classic short-term versus long-term perspective. If you're in it for the long-term, Pinterest is absolutely one of the platforms you've got to be exploring. But when I put a poll out only yesterday um, to find out which platform people were most excited about for next year, everyone said TikTok. Everyone. I mean, it was something like... 80%. It was ridiculous. I mean, if you think about it, TikTok didn't exist six years ago, right? And now there are 100 million, you know, active users in Europe alone. That is phenomenal growth. And it's a phenomenal place to tap into a potential, you know, consumer base. But what you called out there, I think is so important, right? Like brands need to be thinking about a really great multi-channel strategy, right? So you need to know what the channel is, how people are using it, what the reasons are, and then invest in them in the right place, right? Think about when you and I were younger, at least in Toronto, 
growing up, the place to go was the mall. Right. And so I would, me and my friends would go to a mall, you'd walk the hallways of the mall. And that was how we discovered brands wandering in and browsing is how we discovered styles that we were interested in and maybe save up our money and our allowance and go back and make a purchase. This is what these channels are today, allowing consumers the opportunity to come in and browse and discover you and be inspired and pin you and then come back to you later. So remembering like, the journey that people go through, not just in choosing a product, but in discovering a brand and then thinking about how they connect with that brand. Do they connect with the aesthetic? Do they connect with their social purpose? Do they connect with the founders, right? So this is where telling your story becomes so important. Allow people the opportunity to connect with you, discover you, understand who you are so that they're inspired by you and then come back to make their purchase when it's time, right? Versus just product pushing, which we know we see in a lot of retailers, marketplaces. You're not a commodity when you're an independent brand. You should be an authentic storyteller. I really love that idea of it being that online shop place. A lot of companies say we're struggling to replicate our store experience into our online experience, but actually imagining it as if you are going through a mall, but you're online. What do you want that customer to see as their first experience? What do you want that customer to feel? So many times I think people either overthink the content or they're just Mm -hmm. concentrated on that lower end of the funnel and that that conversion. What do they want to see? But actually, if you can inspire someone when they first see it, or they can see something aspirational, you're much more likely to get them to come back because that's what they then have as their first thought of you. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking about the importance of this omni-channel strategy, right? Is to have that connected back end so that you can learn and understand how your customers are interacting with your brand across all your channels, right? So someone like me is probably going to Instagram to see really beautiful imagery and clips of fashion shows to get inspired and to like think about what this brand is doing, how they're telling the story. I'm probably going to TikTok to see how some influencers are using it or talking about it or unboxing some of the products. And then I'm probably going to their site to look for offers, sign up for their newsletters, and then make a purchasing decision, right? But other customers will operate in a different way. Many are going to want to make their purchase right in the app itself, wherever they're at. And so the opportunity to really deeply learn and understand who is interacting with your brand and how they're interacting with them in the different channels becomes so important to the type of content that you're surfacing to them. So you create that personalized experience or what feels personalized to someone like me. I've just got to say now, whenever I hear the word unboxing, I automatically think of Chanel and it's terrible. That is the first thought. It's really interesting how quickly that connection has kind of developed because it's obviously taken over TikTok. But personalization, it's very interesting that you mention it. It's obviously something that the options on Shopify itself for merchants has grown significantly this year. Do you see something, this being something that Shopify continue to develop and enhance? Personalization in all the things that it means, I think is so incredibly important, right? We exist to help independent brands be able to start, build and grow their businesses, tell their stories and to their customers. Personalization or making the experience feel personal to the customer. This is the key, that the customer, that the consumer feels like they're personally connected to the brand at the end of the day is paramount, right? Versus a kind of like peanut butter spread experience that you'll get somewhere else in like a faceless brand. And so part of being personal is, do you have the channels in order to be able to tell the story and really connect with the consumers you feel personally connected? Then the other part is, as you and I were talking about, is 
creating an experience that is unique and personal to that customer, right? Are you surfacing the right offers at checkout? Are you following up with the right emails based on purchases? Are you sending the right marketing customization? Are you sending personalized suggestions on products? Are you sending them a personal note on delivery, thanking them for their purchase and welcoming them into your world as a brand? And so all of the things that you can do at every step of the customer journey to be able to offer just that personal touch or to personalize based on how the customer interacts with your brand are so important. Like I said, that starts with ensuring that you have a really great multi-channel um, strategy so that you're reaching customers wherever they are. Because as I've talked about many times, we no longer go shopping because this is in our hand. And so even if that's offline in brick and mortar, which is incredibly important over the next couple of years, creating really rich experiences that people want to be in when they walk into your stores becomes so important. We'll continue to work on all of this, right? Whether it's customization at checkout, thinking about how you're targeting your customers, the kind of content that you're shooting to them, the channels that you're offering to them, how you create a really great last mile and unboxing experience. These are all things that are incredibly important to independent brands and, and how they're building that like deep connection and loyalty with their customers. And I think the other point you mentioned earlier, that's the advantage of a small brand is the agility, is the ability to personalize and make yourself really stand out from every other experience that's already online. No disrespect to Audi, but you go through the Audi checkout process. It feels just like Audi. There is absolutely nothing stand out about that process other than the fact that it's a, a slick online journey, right? The current CRO work they've done on the platform is very good, but there's nothing special about that. Whereas you go through the Gymshark checkout, and it feels very different. It's significantly quicker to start with, but also it feels a lot more in their voice, in their tone. It sounds like a human is talking to you. And if they can do it at that scale, imagine what the little guys can do. Absolutely. This is actually the magic, I think, of independent direct-to-consumer brands is You've got the ability when you own your channels and you own your data, you have the ability to like learn quickly, pivot, learn quickly, iterate upon larger brands, legacy brands, large retailers. They don't have the agility to be that flexible, right? To take a hold of a, a trend that's coming quickly, really quickly implement it, test it out, see if it works and pivot, right? That's actually our goal when it comes to Shopify and offering all of these channels that we work on all the time for our, our merchant base is we want to ensure that we've given them every opportunity to test with everything, right? Plug in TikTok, see how it works for you, measure it. Maybe it doesn't resonate at all with your customer base. Great. Unplug it, you know, plug another one in, try it out. Pinterest potentially works better. Facebook works better. Instagram works better for you. Great. Then go with that, right? Whatever it is that you want to do, you need to be able to build your brand in a way that resonates with your customer base. And that agility to be able to learn quickly, test quickly, plug and play, I think is, is the paramount piece of advantage that small brands have over the legacy retailers that have been around forever. Take advantage. This is that David versus Goliath scenario. Take advantage of all of that benefit that you have to move quickly. The only thing that worries me when I talk to small businesses, I think, is they found something that works and they stick to it. And then, and they lose that testing ability. Like we spoke to someone the other day who said that, you know, the majority of their business, and we're talking like 80% comes through Instagram. And that's fantastic. You've obviously developed an amazing following and amazing content and, and concept in which really resonates with people there. 
hypothetically, meta goes down again for 24 hours, 48 hours, you've just lost 80% of your business. As you say, it's that omni-channel strategy concept, but also from where you're getting your customers from, because you can't be that reliant. When we talk to customers, we're very much trying to understand or just trying to get people to understand that 30% of your customers potentially should come through PPC, but no more because you're then completely reliant on that channel. And if the cost per clicks go up or the platform goes down, what are you going to do? Yeah, I agree. Right. And finding something that works right now does not mean it's going to work tomorrow with how fast our world changes with the new channels that come up, how we're interacting with brands and Again, as the world continues to move further and further online, like I said, 30% of all retail at this point in the UK is online. And that means the world is getting smaller, right? You're not just discovering brands that are in your neighborhood, on your high street, or even within your country. Now, when we go online, we're discovering brands all over the world right? Because there are no borders in Instagram or TikTok or Pinterest or Spotify, any of these places. So we've now got as consumers, the entire world open to us to shop. And as long as they ship to us, the status quo and finding one thing that works for us as brands is not good enough because the world is getting smaller and there will be competition and people will be able to, to find and discover brands. And so it's about ensuring that you're telling your story incredibly well, you're reaching customers, but you're also experimenting a lot with where a new customer bases could be, how they're interacting, who knows what the next really big social platform is or new experiences that people are looking for, like AR and VR or really great brick and mortar. What's next with the metaverse is everyone wants to talk about right now. You've got to be willing to continue to create rich personal personalized experiences in multiple channels, you stay status quo, you work with just the the channel that's working for you, then to be honest, you're no better than the legacy retailers who have not pivoted their strategy in a long time. And we see how they're struggling today. It's actually really wonderful to see how many of those legacy brands have actually finally pivoted in lockdown. I mean, no offense to Heinz, no offense to Tampax, but those brands that have all of a sudden gone on TikTok and taken it by storm, I'm so glad they've finally caught up. And I'm so glad they've finally listened to their digital team who have probably been drumming that in for years. And finally, it's taken COVID, but they have made it. They have finally realized that oh my word, we can reach a whole new target audience. We can get the next generation in to love our brand through those platforms. Heinz is a great story. From last year too, they, as the pandemic hit, we actually helped them get up and running. So a hundred year company for the very first time went online last year. And so you're absolutely right. There are some legacy brands that have finally started to pivot. They were sending out those amazing personalized boxes, particularly to support NHS workers. So getting all of like the their most loved products like the baked beans and all of those things out to customers, doing it direct to consumer was so good for them because one, they continued this beautiful relationship that they've already had for a hundred years with customers, but two, the data, the ordering, the data, the understanding of the customers who was ordering for them. So even legacy retailers like a Heinz who've never been online before a hundred years later, last year was that really great catalyst for them to do that too. And so you're absolutely right. There are those that I think are going to, you know, fall by the wayside. And we've seen that with those that don't pivot and start to figure out what it means to go digital. But then we've got those that are realizing that if they're going to survive, that they're going to have to figure out how to do this. Club card has a lot to answer for because it has all that data on consumer behavior and it's never shared. So yeah, good for them in all honesty. 
taking a step back from strategy and and taking a look at last year, what do you think the greatest online shopping innovation is that you've seen? Is there any particular retailer that really stands out to you? So there are a couple that I was really impressed with last year, and they're not necessarily new technologies, but they were playing with technologies to create really great experiences that needed to take the place of traditionally in-person experiences. So we saw Chupi, they're a really great fine jeweler out of Ireland, and they sell a lot of engagement rings. So we know engagement rings generally are something that someone wants to go and discover, learn about, and purchase in person. You want to touch, feel, see your diamond. You want to learn about all the things before you make a decision. Tubi did a really phenomenal job of playing with a few different ways to create really rich experiences to do that online. In fact, I'll even share with you like something that they test and decided to move away from, but it was really great for them to be agile to do that. They tried actually like using AR in order to create this really great, rich imagery of the diamonds. What they realized is like, okay, with you really don't need AR with like diamonds. They're tiny little things. You want AR potentially with a sofa. So you can see how that looks in your room, which is something I needed definitely last year. So they're a really great example of testing a technology. How do we bring the diamond to life and all the facets? Actually, you don't really need it for diamonds. So get rid of that. What they did end up doing were digital online appointments so that you'd have a person from their store to be able to um, book an appointment with you, to be able to show you physically the diamonds through a digital um, appointment, walk you through it, understand it, and help you to be able to make that purchasing decision. They really quickly pivoted into how do we insert in here digital appointment making and video appointments in order to be able to help someone continue to do that because people were still going to get engaged last year. No one stopped. So that was phenomenal. We've seen Herman Miller, who obviously, as everyone started to build their home offices, those chairs are not, they're not cheap purchases. Those are thousand dollar chairs or thousand quid chairs in many cases. And again, people want to learn about them before they make a purchase like that. If you don't create a really rich personalized learning experience on the site, I don't know about you, but the first thing that I do when I want to start to learn about something, I I flip over to Google. I start Googling reviews. I look on Reddit for any threads on like, you know, how people are like sitting in it. How do you adjust it? All of those things before I make a decision. One of the things that they've done is started to integrate in like a learning experience right there. So if you're sitting on a page long enough, chat comes up, can I help you? What do you want to learn about this? What what can I tell you about this product? uh, What kind of back problems do you have? Where do you usually have pain, keeping people on the site and engaged so that they can learn, kind of recreating that showroom experience that you would have if someone came up to you when you were sitting in a chair versus someone like me who would probably pivot away and go try and learn somewhere else. So those were a couple of things that I saw over the last year, which were all about continuing the experience of that online and in-person, but bringing it into the digital world. Oh, I really like that. And, and actually, there's nothing more satisfying than a chatbot putting up and it's a real person so many automated ones now and some of them are good and some of them are just terrible. I went on someone's website the other day and the chatbot actually blocked the checkout button because on mobile it completely covered it and it meant you couldn't check out because the chatbot was too busy trying to get my attention and I was like I'm actually ready to buy I don't need to talk to anyone I just want to press the button and you're completely in the way. They've obviously not tested mobile. And so actually you had an interesting experience, which you've alluded to, of one month into COVID trying to decorate your flat that you've just moved into and and Mm -hmm. how do you find the furniture? As you say, you normally want to sit in a chair, you want to test it. How did you go about finding your furniture? I'll tell you actually two of the stories of 
both of my sofas that are here in my room. One of them was such a phenomenal delivery experience, an innovative delivery experience that meant that I actually got furniture. And the other one was a really great education and selection experience. So the first one I purchased from Snug Sofa, they've actually created like flat pack sofas. So that sofa actually comes in flat boxes and actually gets put together in just a few moments. And their ability to do that and deliver within three days meant that during COVID, I could actually receive a furniture delivery when no one was entering homes or would only deliver curbside. I, I think that they did a phenomenal job of one in educating people on their product and two ensuring that they were delivering quickly, right? So that supply chain was really efficient for them. And so I could really quickly make a decision. And I finally had a piece of furniture I'd been using an air mattress as my sofa to that point for the oh. first few months of living here in London. And, and finally in May, I found them. And within a few days I had a sofa and it was perfect because I could put it together. So that was a phenomenal offering is they found an innovative way to move something as traditional as furniture and for today's consumers. The other is from Maker and Son, who I discovered on Instagram as I was scrolling through and looking for inspiration for furniture and realized actually that they were also Shopify merchant. They're custom made. They're a little bit more expensive. And so obviously someone like me, I want to see, feel, touch. I want to sit in it, make sure I sink into it. But we were in the middle of COVID. And so there were obviously no showrooms available. What they had done was phenomenal. They had put a love seat into a cube van and they would drive around for appointments curbside. And so I booked an appointment with them. They drove the cube van. They came down to London. They parked on, on the curb outside my building and I could then go in. I could sit in it, make sure it felt right to me. They had swatches hung along the side. I could pick up my fabric and they had Shopify POS. So I could actually place my order right there sitting in a van. So they brought the showroom to me during COVID and it was safe because the driver could step out and I could be sitting inside, sit in it, touch, feel, learn about it from them, pick my fabric. I could go upstairs and, and actually like take the swatches and compare it to the rug that I had here and make sure it worked for me. I fulfilled my purchase standing curbside and they could then begin creating the order. And so six weeks later, I had my beautiful custom armchair that you saw there. That's amazing. That, that really is exceptional. I hope you've got an image of you sat in this chair in a van because that is just so, someone has very much gone outside of the box, haven't they, in order to come up with that? This is the ingenuity of small independent brands. You can make a decision one day as the owner and we're like, we want to still connect with our customers. We're going to buy a bunch of vans. We're going to take up online appointments and we're going to make sure that people can still get a chance to do that. You wouldn't get that at, you know, a large box furniture store. And so that was the beauty of them finding a way to continue to drive revenue and create such a great connection with me. I got a chance to sit in it, feel in it, talk to them about the brand and to complete my purchase. And so how many times have you shared that story? That story, right? <laughs> the consumer being excited to tell them about it. And actually, if I, I could follow through on that one, because again, it's custom made, it's beautiful. They followed through so well also through WhatsApp, where their customer service would actually send me messages along the way, including a video from the founder telling me, hey, you've placed this order. Just here's what's happening. We are building it right from the wood and we're select and we're going to be custom sewing the covers and here's what's going to happen and here's about how long it's going to take. So I stayed engaged in the process as well because they would send me the messages and let me know never needed help. It was just a WhatsApp message away. So really great use of follow-through customer service as well. 
Really nice touch. And yeah. and you've now connected with the founder who you might not necessarily have been introduced to otherwise, but you've now got a face to the brand. Oh, really yes. nice touch. Really yeah, nice touch. Again, and very personal. Absolutely. Big question for you. Penultimate sure. question though. So hopefully you've got the energy for it still. Wow. 2022, what can we expect to see from Shopify? We are putting the the kind of our foot to the pedal on all the things that you've seen coming out of us over the last year. So as we think about what some of the largest trends are going to be next year in retail, it's actually a lot of what you and I talked about today, Hannah, right? It's how do we help brands to reach their customers wherever they are? So looking at all the channels and making it easier. How do we help creators and artists and make sure that they're taking control of themselves as their brand and reaching their their customers directly? We didn't talk a lot about Spotify today, but I've been very excited about our, our Spotify partnership, allowing artists to directly connect with their fan base, cutting out that middleman, which again is, I think, huge for fans to feel connected to artists, but also for artists to feel connected to fans and to be able to, again, capitalize on the brand that they're building for themselves. Personalization is going to continue need to be really key. So how do we continue to empower those brands to be able to tell their stories to their customers, discovering them wherever they are and creating those really, really personalized experiences right from how they discover them through to the unboxing. So like that every point of the merchant journey, the customer journey, how do we make sure that we're helping them to, to personalize it to what their brand story really is. And then the last is like this true omni-channel, which includes rich in-person experiences. So we've relaunched our POS Pro over the last year, and we're going to continue to iterate upon that because we talk a lot, I think, about online and all of those channels, but really in-store personal custom experiences are absolutely important to the retail experience as well. And so what we want are thriving high streets, but those brands and those retailers that are going to thrive on the high streets are going to be the ones that aren't just racks and racks of clothes that are stacked together. They're going to be the ones that create a really great environment that connect their brand together, that create personalized experiences. Allbirds does such a great job of this where I can buy in store and then have them ship directly to my home because everything is connected together. Or if I've bought online, I can go and return them to the store and I can experience the brand. If you've ever walked into their stores, it's not just boxes and boxes of shoes because they've created this omni-channel experience so that I can walk in, feel like I'm a part of the brand, very minimalist, but interact with them the way that they want. And they know me and they have my history. And so they can tell me, hey, this is the size you bought last time. You may want to try this one again. Having really, really great, rich in-person, in-store experience is going to be very exciting too. So I'll be seeing you at the Gymshark launch then on Regent Street. I'm going to be nagging Noel for an invite. I cannot wait. I'm just up Regent Street, so it's not even a far walk for them. I will be standing outside waiting to make that first purchase. No pressure to them because I feel like there's quite a lot of people waiting to see. And and actually, small businesses waiting to see how do they change the in-store game? Can they change the in-store game? I think Niketown does a very good job of it's not just racks and racks and clothes. It's very experiential when you go in and they're not sales assistants, they're coaches and they're there to give you the best advice to enhance your physical and your, you know, complete journey. So actually I'm excited to see how they change it. Ribble Cycles, I don't know if you've come across them. They've done quite a game changer showroom in terms of their bikes and how to, it's it's not just about buying a bike. It's about how to be the best version and, and how to get the most out of 
them as much as anything else. Gym plus coffee is, is really similar too. I've been so pleased with them. They're really that kind of part of that next generation of DGCs started out of Ireland, but they have multiple locations now as well. And their stores are more community spaces, right? So it's not about, again, all the product. It's about bringing people together who are really into running or coffee or whatever it is and ensuring that they're building really great community spaces too. And so, yeah, these brands that are getting in-store experiences right are the ones that are building really great great environments. They're more than just the product. It's about the brand. It's about the community. I I get targeted with their ads all the time. I really love the concept. I just don't like coffee. So if they could do like gym and chocolate, I really think I'd be more open yeah. to buying it. Okay. So you've mentioned a few, but I'm just intrigued now, excluding Gymshark, because we know you guys have a great relationship with them. Who are mm-hmm. your standout D2C brand of the year? Ooh, so Gym Plus Coffee is up there. I've been just so impressed with what they've been doing. I'd actually have to say who really inspires me is Lounge Underwear. Started by a couple, Dan and Mel, just five, maybe six years ago at this point, in their 20s, absolutely no business experience whatsoever with a thousand bucks out of their own pocket. They fully bootstrapped it. If you've been following them at all, they've become this incredible brand. They're thriving here in the UK, just opened their new headquarters um, up close to Birmingham as well. They're turning 50 million a year and profitable and growing exponentially not in people, but it's what they've done to disrupt the underwear and lingerie industry that I think is phenomenal because what they're doing is they're building a brand based on like body positivity and celebrating all women's bodies. And that's disrupting a very old industry with some stalwarts in there like Victoria's Secret and all of them who we now see following along and realizing that they need to think about inclusivity. So they've come in the two of them, like I said, a thousand bucks, I think that they said they either that they borrowed from their parents have bootstrapped the whole thing because they've learned and pivoted as they've gone. They've used channels really well. They've used influencers really well. They've been true to who they are and what they're building and they're disrupting an entire industry and just out of Birmingham, England. And so they're absolutely inspirational to me because of they, to me, are like the promise of the future of entrepreneurship, that anybody sitting where they're at with the experience and the money they have can pick up, start a business. This is my job at Shopify every single day is how do we remove barriers from people being able to start, build, grow and scale businesses. That's exactly what they've done. And they've done it their way and they're building a beautiful brand. And I love it. That's a beautiful story. It's hilarious though, because there's always that story of entrepreneurs and they've all started from their kitchen table or they've always started from their garage. And so that's what you need to be a successful entrepreneur. Well, based off the descriptions of Shopify brands, apparently you need to be in the Midlands. That's clearly a hub, actually. I imagine it's probably something to do with the logistics because you are in central England. It's cheaper to have a warehouse there than it would be in London. And so I can see there's a lot of advantages to being there. But interesting that so many brands are now basing themselves in the Midlands. I think the key really is when you hear about these stories about starting their grandmother's table using their sewing machine or in their parents' kitchen table, whatever it is, is I hope that what that highlights to people is that you don't need to be anyone special with special education or training to do it. What every single one of them had was the will to learn and pivot and to grow. And that's what all of them have been doing. If you were to talk to Ben Francis, or you talk to Dan and Mel, or you were to talk to the girls at Omolola or talk to Danny at Warpaint for Men, every single one of them would tell you that their key to winning right now, I think is resilience and agility. 
and the ability to learn and a real passion for their brands. Uh, and if you've got those things and you can stay persistent and then you've got some luck that actually goes with it in order to scale, that's really the key to success. Have you ever thought about being a motivational speaker? Because that was very good. I'm starting here thinking, oh, could I come up with a brand now? Could I now launch it? Have you thought about that? What would you start? Of course. Everybody who works in D2C has like thought about it at some level. I don't know. Maybe you'll see it one day. I still think there is a, a huge market and I stand by this. Wetsuits only come in thin sizes. They don't come in anything above a 14. And that that's not your, your average woman is a size 16. So why don't they come in that size? It's one yeah. that bugs me as a swimmer. And it's, so you end up buying a men's one, which is fine, but it doesn't fit properly because it's designed around a man's body, not a woman's body. It comes back to what you said. The companies that are succeeding are considering inclusivity first. It's not a back thought. That's what they're leading with. And I think that the businesses that are successful in the next 10, 20 years will be those that can accommodate everybody. And I'm actually inspired by my hairdresser, which sounds very random, but she is an inspirational woman in herself, but that's what her priority is. She wants any woman to be able to walk into, regardless of whatever race they are, regardless of their background, regardless of what their hair looks like. She wants them to be able to come to her dresses and have their hair cut. It's such a simple concept, but that's not currently the normal. And so there's a number of other industries where inclusivity isn't the normal. And so actually, how can we as entrepreneurs, as business people, as just nice human beings, reduce those barriers and allow everything to be for everybody. I love that. What a beautiful sentiment. And I love your idea. I didn't even know that because I'm not super into water sports or anything, but again, I'm not surprised. What a great problem for you to potentially solve. I love it. I've said it on air now. This is not binding. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you ever so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been really interesting to hear what's coming and I hope you have a safe flight home. Thanks so much, Hannah. It was great talking to you.